days passing by I'll be working here forever At least until I die Damn if you do, damn if you don't You're supposed to get a raise next week You know damn well I won't Working for a living The Kokomo Tribune night editor, Rob Burgess, also has a blog called The House of Burgess. Uh, column, not blog, but sure. Oh, column. Yes. <laughs> column. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But Rob, why don't you uh, tell a little bit about yourself? Oh, great. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. I'm, I'm really uh, flattered that you asked. Um, well, let's see. I uh, I have a seventh-month-old son, so that's kind of ruining my life at the moment. <laughs> uh, hence the large coffee. Um, but let's see. I uh, I've been in journalism for quite a long time. I was the editor of my high school newspaper. Um, I uh, freelanced for the Bedford Times Mail. Uh, I'm actually the fourth generation in my family to work in newspapers. Uh, my mom actually uh, was the lifestyle editor of the of the Bedford paper when I was growing up. So I've spent a long time waiting for her to get off work, you know, hanging around newsrooms and that. So I've been in uh, in the industry for quite a while. I actually I was telling you before we started that I went to school for education. And I, uh, I did that for uh, at IU. And then while I was at IU, I did radio show on WFHB, and I was also a correspondent for WFHB News. I also a student taught in England at the end of that, so that was an interesting experience. And then I came back. I was a uh, special education teacher for a year and a half in the Eastern Green School District. I did kind of worked with one on one with uh, first and second graders who had special needs. And while I was doing that, I was also freelancing for, uh, like I said, the, the radio station and, and Bedford paper until I had enough uh, clips to when a job opened up in the Martinsville paper for an education reporter. I, I seized the opportunity and got that. Worked there for a couple months, then got a job in Ukiah, California, which is in Northern California. Worked there for about two years. Then I left that job to go to a television station that was starting. They were starting a news show, so I, I helmed that up. Up until the TV station went kaput, and then had to move back to India. <laughs> wow. And then uh, once I got back, I, I worked uh, some some other jobs uh, that I won't be probably putting on the journalism resume. Like uh, <laughs> uh, let's see, I de-iced planes at the international uh, international airport. I worked at a call center as a customer service rep um, for Verizon. That was that was awful, <laughs> and um, would never want to do that again. Uh, mean meanwhile, I was trying to uh, get my freelancing back up, so I did. Uh, freelance with Nubo Newsweekly in Indianapolis, wrote about a lot of state house issues, and uh, did that for, for a little while, and then the job came open in Kokomo, I applied for it, got it, uh, and I'll be three years there this month. So wow, well, that's, that's, a, that's a great range of experience, yeah. and definitely puts you in contact with a lot of different aspects of society. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. For those who haven't read uh, Rob's column, you can actually go online, we'll post it in our, in our show notes. You know, go check that out because it, it's a it has some really interesting takes on on the way things are going here in the state of Indiana. Absolutely, absolutely. And at the end of the show, we'll also give Rob a chance to put a, a shameless plug in for us. The House of Burgess is about is a weekly mm-hmm. publication in the Kokomo <laughs> Tribune, and you tackle a lot of different issues that affect people not only here in the Kokomo, Howard County area, sure. but state and national yeah. level. Last year, you wrote an article, and this is what we had talked a little bit about this on our show, Pat, was 
Uh, I believe the article was entitled Minimum Wage Sucks. Uh, it's a joke, but I, I agree with that sentence. <laughs> but <laughs> but as do people earning minimum wage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But you, you really got into to the meat and potatoes of what we talk about here uh, a lot. Is, is that minimum wage is definitely a wage that is not a living wage no, here in the not. state of Indiana or elsewhere in the country. Oh, no, not at all. I mentioned I worked at the call center, for example. Um, that's kind of a, I, you'd call that piecework, where they, they measure how much you pay by how much you move a certain thing. Okay. So if there weren't enough calls coming in that day, you get paid when, only when you're on the phone. So in between calls, you're not making any money. So if it's a time when there's no calls coming in, you're just sitting there making no money. So if I had days where I'd make $3 an hour, $5 an hour. The only way they got away with that is at the end of the you know, two-week period, if you made less than what you would have made for minimum wage, they'll give you a little something to like make it up to that. So I had days where I would make you know, eight-hour day, I'd make $30, $40. It'd be ridiculous. So, yeah, yeah I'd, so I've made minimum wage and sub-minimum wage. I've been on both, both ends of it. So it's, yeah, and you're right. You mentioned the living wage thing. Not a living wage at all. It's uh, I, I really loved in uh, the State of the Union address when Obama was talking about the minimum wage, and he said, "You try it, try living on this. Yeah. And it's impossible. It's yeah. it's ridiculous." And so. so many people, you know, in my line of work, we have to talk about the, the scales of employment, and, sure. and and a lot of people don't realize that what President Bush held as true, uniquely American when he, he brings the woman up and says, oh, she's working three jobs. Isn't that great? <laughs> no. no, it's not. No, it's not great. You should be able to live on one. Uh, that, that we talk about the term underemployment and people oh, yeah. having to have multiple jobs. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the unemployed, the long-term unemployed, that is, is still an ongoing issue. You know, we have uh, the state declaring, oh, you know, isn't it great we're at X number of unemployment, but it's mm -hmm. not the true unemployment figure. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. They said, "Oh, you know, we've made it down to five. I haven't the politicians done a good job now? Because no. there's a ton of people sitting out there that are still not—they've fallen off the system, and they don't count them anymore. Right? They don't count them. And How long is it after you stop looking for work that they stop counting you in that number? Uh, here in the state, it's actually uh, almost immediately after you drop off. Really? You can, yeah. And then it's just yeah. So you just you no longer count. Right. That's crazy, yeah. But one of the things that Rob had mentioned was this pay-by-piece pay by uh, scale that, that people are paid by, and it grossly resembles a service wage. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've served enough tables in my life to sure. know that you know, uh, if you're having a very slow day, you make the bulk of your money by the tips that you make. Mm -hmm. So if you have a slow day, right. you may only get paid two, three, four bucks an hour yeah. and, and tables. And when they tax the tips too, don't they? And they tax the tips. Yeah, right. You're supposed to claim 100% to the IRS, but I know a lot of servers, just for the sake of being able to have cash in their hands, they they don't. Oh, absolutely. And, and Rob, I'm, I don't even know if you're aware of this. Yeah. We, we discussed this about a year ago. Um, it came to my attention that the state uh, had a deal with um, a pizza chain. I'm, I'm not sure. That if you're a high school worker, that you're basically getting paid on that, that kind of tipped wage scale. 
mm-hmm. that you know you're doing the normal work of everybody else in the in the thing, and I and I, t- I said that's that's just really insulting. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that they should be paid that low either, but at least if you're going to be a waiter somewhere, sure, you have you, you understand that you know I'm, you're hustling, you're trying to make your tips, mm-hmm. you're you're doing all those things to get that up. Uh, it's still not enough to survive often in those oh, cases, like Randy no. was saying. But you know, to just out and out say to somebody is like, okay, you're going to do a, you're going to do the full line of work, but you can't get tipped, yeah, and you're going to get paid less. <laughs> right, right. Have you guys heard of the uh, restaurants that do no? They they've outlawed tipping. Have you heard about that? There's yeah, certain... it's kind of a trend that's coming along. What what do you think of that? Is that good for people? I mean, I, I assume the the thinking is they pay them enough initially, you know, just on the top of it, so they don't need to have tips. The I, most, I most of the restaurants I've looked into are, are going to that. They at least are at minimum wage or okay. a little bit better. But the, there's all sorts of trends within the different industries. And, and sure. restaurants particularly are egregious about this. One mm-hmm. of the ones that I've been talking to people about, because it's always been a personal pet peeve of mine, what automation does to jobs. Yeah, sure. Because um, I worked in a factory for 10 years. And, and, right. Um, I've done a lot of studying on it. Groups like Applebee's and Chili's and things like that now that want to get rid of servers altogether. Mm. Basically, you'll sit at your table, you'll type it in on your pad or call it on you know, via phone or something like that to to the ser- to a server. But you, you you know we talk about this elimination of an, of an entire job sector. Um, we we can look at places like uh, grocery stores now where they've got these U scan servers centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Those drive me crazy. You know what? And, uh, this is a funny story. I just it, it, it came to mind when you said that. My brother-in-law, who is a uh, die-in-the-wool Reaganite Republican, mm-hmm. that he understands this issue. He will not go to an ATM while the bank is open. He will not go through a self-service right. thing at the grocery store. And uh, you know, he grew up poor, and, and the job that supported him when he went to college was he was a grocery bag boy. Mm-hmm. And he says that I understand that that takes away somebody's job. And I was like, you know, I try to try to tell that to people, and, and they, they kind of look at you because you know it, it's so convenient to run through. Self-service or run through yeah. the ATM while the bank's open, and there, there is implications for that, and that that creates a, a right. separate society that is now that job's gone. And they can justify having more because they can see that you, oh well, they're using it. You know, let's let's get a couple more in there. I hate those things. If I can ever go to an actual person to check me out, because the machine is ridiculous. It screams at you. Uh, it's like, uh, place, place the item in the bagging area. It's like, it's in the bagging area. I just put it in the bagging area. What is wrong with you? I just ran into that last week. Yeah, so I, I totally agree. Yeah, and then, like you're saying, if they see that you're using it, then they can justify doing it to more people and eliminating more jobs. Yeah. The, the kicker of it was, is um, my wife and I stopped one night and, and I don't particularly like shopping at Walmart because I, I know what kind of policies they have, but she will. And so she, she, she's like, oh, we got to stop and get this. And I'm like, ah, all right. Uh, I'm in there, and a woman, God love her, middle-aged, she goes, I'm not going through that thing. You need to open me a checkout. And I'm like, you go. Yeah, exactly. I want a person, a human being, somebody get me a human Exactly. Exactly. But this is this this whole automation thing kind of ties into like Rob had said corporations corporations can justify these self service centers and you know people are using them people mm-hmm. are using them they like it they like the convenience and right. it's just another mechanism on well you know what I don't need you know they could tell an employee I don't need you as much or as often so mm-hmm. you're basically you know, it helps to drive wages down. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's just another mechanism. And we know that the money that they're sa- saving on wages is going to help further automate 
these industries. Mm-hmm. And then they're also going back into profit sharing and back into board hands and profit hands. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the CEO and upper-level management pay has exponentially grown over the past decades. You know, depending on what study you want to reach, anywhere from 350 to 750% mm-hmm. of an average worker. Right. Uh, so, you know, that means you're taking that from that low-level manager <coughs> down to the, I'm not going to, as, as derogatory, but custodian, you know, at the, at the lower end of the, mm-hmm. the scale, that you're making that much more money. I yeah. And uh, Randy and I talked about this probably for a whole show, I think, sometime last year, and, and I'm, I'm sure that you're well aware of seeing the studies that raising workers' wages is, is not the big, oh my gosh, we're going to have to triple our prices. Yeah. Things. Whereas in the case of Kansas State, they looked at McDonald's and like tripling everybody's pay uh, if you just wanted to add it to the Big Mac was a dollar seventeen. Right. And if you spread it out over the dollar menu, the dollar menu then would be like a dollar six. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. They, they want to say that because they want to put Oh, well, you're gonna you're gonna hurt us so bad. Look what we're gonna have to do. And it's like you don't have to do that. That's the that's your first thing that you immediately take it out that on the employees. There's there's got to be something else yeah, between there. No, and I've done labor history for the apprentices for years. One of the things I always talk about in, in the first during the formation of this country, when they were trying to you know keep workers' rights down, they brought about this notion of conspiracy to restrain trade. Mm-hmm. Which just meant that it was a harm to the public good. Like, if I have to give you a better wage, if I have to give you a hard hat, if I have to give you tools mm-hmm. to do your job, sure. God forbid, right? Right. That, uh, <laughs> you know, then I'm going to have to pass that along to the, the consumer public. Right. And we're at a day where, where some of these corporations, where these guys are making so much that they did a study that looked at Walmart the other day, you know, bringing everybody up to $15 an hour in Walmart instead of the 20 point I something billion, they would only I make 10. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. They, they would have made $10 billion. It just right. breaks my heart, you know. <laughs> oh, geez, you, you only made that much? God forbid. You had to get the medium-sized jacuzzi? Oh, yeah. that's rough. <laughs> right. It takes you six years to pay it off instead of three. Well, well, yeah, one of the interesting things I, I think that's about your your column mm-hmm. is, is that you talk talk a lot about without, you know, using all the technical mumbo-jumbo, mm-hmm. inequality and, 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 and mobility and things like that. You're, you're talking about these issues in a real sense with people. Mm-hmm. Because people, people yeah. just don't gather. They hear wage inequality and it sounds like a foreign term to them. Sure. Um, when you talk about mobility, you know, what is mobility? You know, the ability to move up because mm-hmm. you're making a, having a better standard of living. You can you can actually, you know, not have to worry about choosing between your kids' medications or right. eating and, and getting a repair on your car. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I talked about, and I've actually done two columns about it, but one of the things I talked about in the most recent one was that, you know, it's like, it, they always talk about, oh, and, and this is something that really irks me, is when people vote against their own interest or, or get or hate on people that are in the same boat as them you know I never understand that like uh, people getting so mad about oh you know let's let's drug test all the welfare people and let's you know all these these lazy layabouts and, and this and that and the other and and really what happens is there's corporate welfare and that's one thing that people never talk about at least right. they don't talk about enough is that by paying these people so little they still have things that have to, you know, needs have to be met. So basically what, you know, places like Walmart, you're talking about Walmart and McDonald's, places like that pay so little 
that they are subsidizing their own profits off of what the government has to take care of for these people. Food stamps, welfare, housing assistance, all that kind of stuff. That still comes out of somewhere. It doesn't, you know, those needs don't disappear just because they decide to pay peanuts to people. Um, so they're basically using the government to pick up the tab for those things which they do not pay for and they get to keep the profits. And I think that is really disgusting. And there was something uh, in my last column about how this was near the holidays where Walmart was having a food drive for their own employees. <laughs> we talked about yeah. that. Yeah, that just, come on. That, if that, that, that's, a, that's an argument. I don't even, what else do I have to say? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> well, and, and Pat and I have talked about this theory in, in economics about the ripple effect, mm -hmm. where if a, if a person is paid a, a good, sustainable living wage, right. we've all gone to the yeah. pond here in Indiana and thrown the rock into the mm -hmm. pond and seen the ripples sure. kind of move out. And the ripple effect in, in, in economy is, is when a worker is making a wage, regardless of what it is, mm -hmm. and toss it into the pond, that, that ripple goes out. The smaller the pebble, the smaller the ripple. Sure. The bigger the pebble or the bigger the wage, mm -hmm. the bigger the ripple. Right. And when that person throws their money into the economy, it directly affects other workers. Mm -hmm. Say somebody in my position as a fast food manager, you know, my money is limited, but when I do have the money to go and say, go to a, a pizza place and buy mm -hmm. pizza for the wife and the kids, mm -hmm. that's a worker, that's another worker that's directly involved and, and affected by my money being mm -hmm. spent. Yeah. And then it was all around, yeah. And then that person has more hours because mm -hmm. of my money. And then they go and spend that money that they're making, mm -hmm. and it just ties one into the other. Yes. And the, the problem I see here in the United States and here in Indiana is, is that people don't have enough disposable income. Mm -hmm. When people are making a minimum wage or making or are underemployed, mm -hmm. they spend their money on yes. the basics, and that's it. Yeah. And sometimes they don't even have the money to do that. Sure. So what Pat and I have talked about is, is we need to give people bigger pebbles. We need to start giving them rocks mm -hmm. and bolt to start totally throwing into this pond. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we talked about during our last panel with Postal Consolidation Group. You know, a lot of people in these industrialized and deindustrialized areas in the state of Indiana have, have really got a, uh, a thing for, you know, what the auto workers make, what, you know, higher paid things people at the post office in this case, but what they don't realize is that there are so many jobs attached to that, extrapolating the basic data, you know, for those jobs that are lost at the post office for what they're making, we're losing about six local jobs mm. because of that, that, that closing. Sure. Um, they hate on, and I'll go back to teachers in Anderson, mm -hmm. for years had a contract where their, where their insurance copay was a dollar. Yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. Right. But instead of people going, you know, God, that would be nice to have. Yeah, I, liked, I like that. <laughs> right? The, the, the general public sentiment was, well, I have to pay 40% uh, of my copay, so why shouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> I'm miserable. You should be miserable, too. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. We need to take a quick break. We're talking with the night editor from the Kokomo Tribune, Rob Burgess. But this is the Worker's Voice, and we will be right back.
All right, welcome back to the Worker's Voice Show on Radio Chain, sitting with Pat Hill and our special guest, Rob Burgess, from the Kokomo Tribune, author of the House of Burgess, and we're talking about state of the income Indiana and, and income and workers in general. And uh, we were talking about a little bit beforehand was uh, one of the current bills is, is to do away with the common construction wage, mm-hmm. uh, or more typically called prevailing wage, on, on projects where um, federal monies come in. Um, so workers get a little bit higher rate of pay to, to do that. And a very unimpressed, unprecedented, well, usually unprecedented display that, you know, you had union and non-union contractors going down to the General Assembly and saying, this is a terrible idea. Because they realize not only does the non-union contractors that it makes them money, but it, it helps their employees, right? Sure. Um, but you know, it seems to be a, a real intent of the legislature here of late to push people's income back. You know, we talked a little bit, uh, well, quite a bit on the show about, you know, teachers and, and the attack on public education and the demoralization of teachers as a profession. It's coming all across the board. The universities are taking cuts. The governor, the, uh, I work for a local uh, women's domestic violence shelter on the board, and, you know, they, they literally had to go down and, and protest and shame the governor because he wanted to return what by state law should have been funds in, in, mm. in the pot back to the, the general fund so that, of course, they look better at the end sure. of the day. Like, oh, we got all this money in the treasury. Right. I, I guess I guess what's your take on, on the wages being pushed down here? Yeah. Just... I'm, I'm glad you brought up education because I, I went to school for elementary education. I was just talking to my wife about this the other day is that um, most of the people that I went to school with for education are no longer teachers. It's just they've been pushed out because it doesn't make sense to stay in, in, a, in a profession that doesn't support you, doesn't pay you, uh, your, you know, the infrastructure for, you know, wages and, and, and benefits, everything is just getting crumbled, and um, talk about, you know, charter schools and that, and, and it, that, that, that whole situation just makes me crazy, because they want to compare charter schools to public schools, where public schools have to take everybody, that's the definition of a public school, right. and charter schools, they, some of them take the I-step just for fun, just to show how great they are. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, if you have a self-selected population, probably going to do better than taking everybody and, and testing them that way. So, uh, you know, it's it's just the dismantling of public education is is something that I've seen firsthand, and it's it's disgusting. It really uh, is. So. Not only the yeah the dismantling of public education, but the the strict adherence to to make it a corporatized entity. <laughs> You know, this is, uh, Randy and I have talked about this. We've had Doug Martin, Rick Muir, president of the AFT Indiana. We've had multiple guests on to talk about this issue of education when it is a cornerstone of our democracy, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, you know, again, when I teach labor history, I talk about, you know, the workers wanting education because in this mm-hmm. democracy that, you know, the, the founders had presented to us, right, that they wanted their kids to be able to read and write and debate the subjects of the day in mm-hmm. an intelligent fashion, mm-hmm. rather than politician acts coming and saying, sure. "You know, Rob, you know, you really should make a lot less. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's good for your soul." <laughs> and, uh, um, and you know, they would tell people. You know, it sounds funny, but they would tell people this, and, I, and I'm, I'm almost getting this sense that you know, the the state legislator is in such a rush to appease the corporate entities, their corporate donors, mm-hmm. that they're letting anything pass, you know, take the take the situation with Glenda Ritz being disenfranchised oh. now. So what, what appears on the news feed yesterday was that the State Board of Education, of course over her objections, 
allows two charter schools who have failed four plus years to continue another year. Mm, that's just ridiculous. They're buying in to almost that Grover Norquist quality of like if, if we just starve public education, if we pay teachers low enough, if we treat them poorly enough, if we keep the attack up, like they'll, they'll just go away. Yeah. We'll, we'll just we'll just think, but. I guess my thought, my question becomes is, you know, what's your thought on and where does it lead the state of Indiana if, if, by doing this? Uh, it's, it's, you know, depressing. I mean, it's really depressing and uh, it's not going to help the brain drain that's happening in the state. Who wants to be in a state with no critical thinkers? I mean, you know, if you, if you, don't, if you just teach kids, you know, uh, what they need to be obedient workers and not to think critically, it's, it's not... It's good for corporate masters, I suppose. But if uh, <laughs> if you're uh, you know if you want a decent society that you know debate the issues of the day and that it's 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 worthless, you know it's it's horrible. Uh, I <laughs> wish I had something more intelligent to say, but it's well, just, you know it's, I think I think Rob hit on an interesting point. Studies have shown that more college graduates in the state of Indiana are actually leaving the state of Indiana oh, yeah. and going elsewhere to pursue careers rather than staying here in the state, and this is something that has been addressed by the General Assembly, but I don't think it's being addressed at an early enough stage in, in the education. Uh, Rob also talked about uh, teachers are, more teachers are leaving the profession of teaching than ever before. Uh, on average, new teachers are staying about four years, and, yeah. and they're, they're leaving... Plus, we've had, uh, we now have the data. Um, you know, Rick Muir, actually president of AFT, brought it to our attention the first time, and so I started looking into it. Across the state of Indiana, the major, major education schools, Ball State, Indiana, and even some of the smaller ones that you know, are, are there to, quote-unquote, train teachers, mm-hmm. you know, have experienced a 40% drop in enrollment. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got you've to be thinking that, that that is a direct result of they're seeing that this attack is going on. Why... Why would I want to go put myself in that situation? You know, where yeah. Why, why walk directly into that buzz? So I mean, what's, exactly. what's in it for you? You know, and we saw this under the Daniels administration, where uh, teacher performance and teacher pay was directly linked to the I-STEP test. And I can remember uh, the I-STEP came around when I was in school, and back when the I-STEP first came out, it was used simply as a diagnostic tool to show that. Randy, you're performing here. You should be here. Mm-hmm. And what can we do to bridge this gap? Mm-hmm. And never before was the teacher held accountable or liable for poor test scores. Yeah. But now, uh, if, if, if a teacher has low test scores, and again, Rob hit on this point, public schools have to take every student, right. regardless, of what, regardless of their economic standing, or their home life, mm-hmm. or regardless of, of past behavioral issues, mm-hmm. you know, and these are things that public school teachers deal with on a day-in and day-out basis, mm-hmm. and now you're going to tell me that they have to be held accountable and they're evaluated by these test scores. Absolutely. I, I live in an economically depressed area. Um, we used to be a former GM town. Uh, those jobs are gone. There's not really much high wage left anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about service sectors, and, and the only reason that it, it does as well as it does is we're a bedroom community in Indianapolis. Yeah. But uh, serving on that school board, I can tell you that we spend an numerous amount of time and money and working with various uh, nonprofit and social groups to try to 
work against, you know, try to, to work against those issues to give those kids some sort of stability. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we find that that teacher saying good morning, hello, how you doing, did you eat today, they're the only ones that have got to say that. Yeah. mom and dad are, you know, like, there's a lot of single parent homes. It's but, true. But in case mom or dad is, is uh, you know, working so much, they're not able to help the kid with the schoolwork. Um, they're not getting fed properly or they don't have enough money to be, even be fed properly. If parents are working two, three more, yeah. that uniquely American <laughs> jobs lifestyle, yeah. you know, when's mom and dad going to have the time to sit down with little Johnny or little Susie mm-hmm. and say, you know what, how's your homework? Mm-hmm. You know, how are you doing in school? Well, we're, we're, well, well, public schools are shrinking in money and, and, and quote-unquote stature because people, parents are taking these vouchers and run, trying to run to charter school XYZ or private school XYZ thinking that they're going to get a better education, you know, the, the realism is that they're not getting a better education. They're mm-hmm. not playing on a level playing field. So many times we're finding that the charter schools, are, they're lining people's pockets. They're not getting near enough textbooks. So while we're, public schools are committed to this, this ideal education of, for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, we're having to provide more services. We're having to, to make sure that kids eat, to make sure that they get that baseline education. Yeah. Now, you know, been with labor studies eight years, and you know, we look a lot at different employment situations. And I don't—I've never come across an employer that says, "You know, I just want a body there." <laughs> they, 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 Somebody with a pulse. There, there's a there's a few of them out there, you know, that, especially like in the in the, the lower end fast food stuff and, uh-huh. and some and some supermarket things. And, sure. Um, that'll say, you know, look, yeah, there's a, you know, workers a dime a dozen. We just need mm-hmm. to perform these tasks. But right. for the most part, any, most employers want employee, employees that they can trust. Yeah. They want employees that can think critically so that when things yeah. happen, they don't have to call a manager every single, oh, yeah. for totally. every single issue. They want to be able to, you know, have students that can, can count right. And uh, <laughs> it's, sorry, been a pet peeve of mine for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd wonder what happens if, Sometimes at, at places I go to, like if the power goes out and they have to do adding in their head. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forget it. Right. It's over. Forget about it. Yeah. Forget about it. Since Daniels has come in, it's been basically about depressing. It seems to be about depressing workers' wages. Personal incomes have gone down. Only wanting to bring the jobs that they want to bring. Mm-hmm. You know, touting things like uh, Amazon and and you know where are the the jobs that paid the the wages of the old manufacturing that you yeah. wanted to get rid of, that you that you stood at the door of Kokomo Chrysler and said, you know, these people shouldn't be making this much money. <laughs> Nonetheless, it, it seems like this is this is the kind of society where Indiana comes in. And I, and I just finished my letter to uh, Governor Pence and, and the legislature over this whole over the whole public school issues, things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And you know, my final thought is, is, where does it leave the future of Indiana? I I guess I can pose that to you guys because who wants to come here if if you can't make a good wage? Who wants to come here as an executive, bring your business here if you don't have good schools? Oh, yeah. Well, and and Pat, you just hit what I was going to talk about was, and especially during the right-to-work battle that we had just a few years ago, the Indiana General Assembly was talking about the criteria that brings companies here, and they kept saying that, High wages, union wages was one of the things that prevent that. And there were a lot of executives saying the, the top three things that we look at when we decide where we're going to come to a state or not is education, 
infrastructure mm-hmm. and quality of living. Mm-hmm. And they said education more than any of these plays a vital role and then quality of living because if you have a workforce that's working itself to death, what, what happens to the quality of living? It goes down because they're working and people are, are, are machines too and you keep working a machine over and over and over, eventually it wears down, it breaks down. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that needs to be addressed is, is where does it leave the state of Indiana? I think, A, if we don't get workers paying paid decent wages and get our education back to where it is, is Indiana will definitely be an oasis. It'll be a brain drain oasis where people say, you know what, I can get a better living somewhere else and have a better, robust health. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't pay people a minimum or a middle class wage, I mean, who do you think is going to buy the new Chrysler cars that are rolling off the line. I mean, who, who, I mean, there's the super rich and then there's everybody else. And if there's nobody in the middle, I don't, I don't get who drives the economy. You know what I mean? Right. Discussion that's been going on a long time, probably continue long past us today. Sure. <laughs> but, uh, uh, a friend of mine who, who used to work for UAW, uh, GM once said that, he said, you know, the, the real resentment began in the eighties when, in, during the Reagan era, that mm-hmm. the, the rich and the pseudo rich began to look and say, You mean the soon to haves? Yeah. <laughs> I love that phrase. Yeah. Thanks, the thanks Governor That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, the soon to haves. That, that notion. Boy, that yeah, drives that, me crazy. Yeah. That, uh, you know, they looked and they saw that, hey, there's this, this, this group of people that they're kind of the working, they're, they're that middle class, they're the working rich almost. Mm-hmm. At least in at least from their perspectives, where they could afford to go have a summer vacation or mm-hmm. a summer home or a boat or yeah. uh, you know forgot back then it was a cell phone. Yeah, right. the time we were having backpack cell phone. Like, yeah. yeah, well at least you know the si- Wall size Street, of your hand. Michael yeah. Douglas Wall Street right. cell phone. Right? <laughs> yeah, when, when, and they're they're looking and says workers can afford that they shouldn't be able to. Afford right, that. what are they that's, doing? That's my proxy. You know, right. I should have these things. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's, uh, I do a class in the ball called American Dream in the Age of Decline, and, and one of the weeks I spend is on that notion of the soon-to-haves. Um, the displaced millionaires. Yeah, they, everybody that's thinks they can, yeah. they, they can win the American, they lottery. Can win the lottery and right. win, the, win the American Dream, that they're going to have that mobility, that they can, all of a sudden, they're, they're going to be the next one that's rich. And uh, we, we talked, to, I talked about one time when I was lobbying in D.C., one of the guys I was talking with is... When this phrase death tax come out, mm-hmm. you know, in, in reference to inheritance tax, which only affected like less than one fourth of one percent, because you, you know none of us are leaving five hundred thousand dollar plus estates to our, our children. There's very few people in the United States that can do that. I got some baseball cards for my kid. I hope they're worth something. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Go on eBay, maybe. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so this this notion of death tax coming about, the the Black Caucus was supporting mm-hmm. this eliminating the death tax, and I, and, I, and, I, and it's like I don't understand. Most of them are, are Democratic. What they're not going to be, and and that was his that, that was the the lobbying the main lobbying guy's responses. He's like. They think they're going to be the next millionaires. Yeah. You know, they they think that the next generation is going to be that multi-millionaire or billionaire. Yeah. And they want they want to to have have that. And like for most people, mobility is not the case. Whatever kind of economic and social class you're born into, you right. stay in. Yeah. You know, if if it's a movement up the scale just slightly, you know, we've made progress. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, something I talked about in my minimum wage column was, uh, you know, people. 
uh, you know, the great, I think the greatest trick those plutocrats have ever played is that they keep people fighting because of these very things you're talking about that, oh, I'm going to be rich, so I don't want to screw it up for myself just in case that ever happens, you know what I mean? Whereas, you know, most people, I mean, what's the path for a teacher or a firefighter or a police officer or anybody that does the things that has to be done, somebody has to do them, mm-hmm. and what is their path to be a millionaire? I and most of the people, when I went to school for education, they weren't in it for the... Obviously, they were going to school for education. They weren't in it for the money. They just wanted a decent living that they could afford to go on vacation once in a while, or a car, or, God forbid, some health care for their children. Um, but it's like, what is the path for that person to be a million? There isn't one. So, But the, but in the, I don't know how they've done it, but somehow it's like they've... they've flip the switch in their brain that is if I just keep making it hard on these people like it's like just make it so hard that they won't want to be poor anymore it's like yeah that was the problem it wasn't hard enough yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> we, we didn't want we didn't of course we didn't want more money and more and, and to live better you know that's, yeah that's security thing yeah Whatever. Exactly. Yeah, Why do you think we have a weekend? Why do you think we have eight-hour work days? You know, it's because people stood up and asked for you know it to happen. We, we stood up, and and I think we've we've reached that kind of point. My my theory, and always in teaching history to people, was that the, the pendulum swings. Mm-hmm. That's a clock, and and the pendulum, although it's a very very slow swing back, people, are, I'm starting to see hope and things like the fight for fifteen. And, oh yeah. And, and occupy and, and some Absolutely. of these things that have come along that that people are beginning to feel that boot in their throat and that they're they're standing up for themselves and and I and I think we're reaching that point kind of with teachers too is like you know teachers that didn't feel like they had uh, like their job was safe and and everything was going to be okay mm-hmm. and they they really didn't have to participate are, are now getting in the game mm-hmm. they're saying you know this isn't right yeah well I mean I don't really understand how I mean I understand how Glenda Ritz won like I, I get that because there was such a big pushback to everything that Tony Bennett and Mitch Daniels were doing just dismantling public education but I, I don't understand in the same cycle how they elected Pence who's doing all the same things but on the school of or you know the Glenda Ritz part oh yeah I'll check that so I don't know how people are of two minds on that like how, how do they make that disconnect I don't get it like it's like if in, in my personal opinion we've we become the uh, American Idol of voting it's just it's not about the policies and things it's just like do I like that guy do I like that better you know if it's Randy and I do I like Randy better like the way he like fills out his suit <laughs> yeah. right. that, that might be something that we can discuss on our next uh, on the next segment but we do need to take another quick break. Uh, this is the Workers' Boy Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worker's Voice. This is Pat Hill sitting with Randy Obenchain and, and Mr. Burgess from the uh, Kokomo Tribune who writes the column House of Burgess, and we suggested you check it out. So, Rob, thanks again for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been great. We were talking about something in the break here about, you know, when you give working people a little more money, I mean, I don't understand why people don't under, don't get that they're going to spend it because they have bills immediately. They're going to put it right back into the economy. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see how that's, that's a bad thing. And you were talking about 
about you know tax time mm-hmm. not being time woohoo time for vacations. I just got my taxes back, and you better believe that went right back into every bill that I've been lagging behind on you yeah, know up until absolutely. now. So yeah. it's, it's, and then it's this crazy. is the thing. This is the thing for most working people. Mm-hmm. It's just now that my kids are grown and kind of getting out of the house, and that we can look at those sort of things. It, you know, I, I drove a car had three hundred fifty thousand miles on Woo! it. This will be the first check that we get that it's not have, we're not having to do that. I mean, I, I, this is literally the first time I think mm-hmm. I, can, I can remember yeah. <laughs> in a long time right. that, that we're not having to, to, to scurry to catch up bills with our tax check. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, I was making that point before. You know, I talked about during one of our uh, postal consolidation panels. It's, it's like, you know, those jobs are, have a direct relationship to, like, even this little coffee shop we're sitting in right now. When those high-paying jobs go away, mm-hmm. things like this can't exist. Entrepreneurs that might that might come up with the next Ben and Jerry's ice cream or, or uh, you know the next revolution and in, um, internet something mm-hmm. they have to worry about making ends meet they're not going to have time to be that they, they you know which is very unfortunate it, it puts us not only in a bad place as a state but it puts us in a bad place as a nation because sure. when you know at the time of our greatest economic expansion post World War II right mm-hmm. the soldiers coming home getting the GI Bill they use that money to go to school socialism become <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Get me started on it. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, yeah, they used it to become entrepreneurs in society, and they used it to better things. And, and we grew suburbia, and we grew mm-hmm. what became the middle class because yeah. unions got out there and fought for better wages yeah. and, and benefits, and that translated into the workplace overall. Most people think of unions as outdated. There has to be a structure, and, and that's why I said I see hope in things like mm-hmm. workers standing up for themselves in terms of the fight for 15 and, and some of these other grassroots things that have sprung mm-hmm. forward. It doesn't have to be a union structure. Our, our goal, is, as a matter of fact, is you know why we talk about unions and stuff is, is we want to get workers in power. You know, that's been the whole gist of this program is to go out there and say, you know, hey, guess what? You have rights, and, and they're, they're taking them away. Mm-hmm. Or they're diminishing them in such a way that if you don't stand up, realize what's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see things, you know, like your column, Nouveau runs some stuff on things that are talking about inequality and, economic, and, and mobility from time to time. Mm-hmm. To get out there and, and kind of reach that voice, but do you, do you find you, do you get a lot of blowback from, because Howard County is a pretty heavy red area. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm from Mitchell. I don't know if you know Mitchell, but it's a very, very small town, about 3,000 people in southern Indiana, mm-hmm. and um, I, I don't have any problem being the only one with my opinion in, in, in a thousand miles, so I'm used to it, um, you know, so, so yeah, no, I, I do get pushback, and, uh, and I really probably, I'd say my minimum wage articles that I wrote, uh, I'd say got more blowback than, I'd say it's top three of any columns I've ever written of people getting just so virulently angry about it. You were talking about other people benefiting from people having living wages, you know, kind of uh, the runoff of that. I think, sadly, one of the things that, that people who are against raising the minimum wage play on is people's vanity in that they don't want to believe that they had any help and that they they got to where, like if you're a middle class or upper middle class or a rich person, you don't want to believe, a lot of them don't seem to want to believe that had any help and there was no luck involved and it was all my bootstraps and me just you know the bootstraps oh, grabbing the bootstraps and you know and it's like it's no you, you live in an ecosystem you had opportunities 
they worked out well for you, but you don't you didn't do that by yourself. No one does. I mean, right. even to the you know, modest places we are in our lives, I guarantee we didn't do that by we had help every step of the way. And I, I just it makes me sick when people don't understand that and they want to think, oh, I just I did it all myself. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, this is this is something that. A lot of folks I don't think understand is, is the entrepreneur that, that invents the next big thing or, or, or comes up with the next big idea. You know, did they did they go to a public school? Possibly. You know, did they have a, a, a family structure that loved them and encouraged them yeah. and pushed them? Probably. You know, did they have some sort of, of uh, faith system? You know, whether it's a church, a synagogue, or a mosque, or whatever it is. You know, did they have people there that said, you know what, you can do this, yeah. you can do this, you can do this, push for it, push for it, mm-hmm. push for it. And I think that's the thing that people don't want to talk about is, is, you know, was there some hard work and some dedication and persistence involved? Absolutely. But mm-hmm. did you go to college and get a good education? Did you get that? Did, that, did that you have the means business to go to college? Degree? Right. You know, uh, and how did you get to college? Oh, you got government grants and you got loans. Right. Scholarships. Scholarships. Yeah. And I, I jokingly screamed out socialism when you said the GI Bill because I love when people invoke the word socialism and they mean it but they don't think about it and they're just like oh I don't like that it must be socialism but they don't talk about socialized police force roads fire 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 department teachers public schools think of everything that you could call socialism if you were so inclined here's another one that people don't want to talk about the United States military oh that's the biggest social jobs program there ever was you know what I mean something that that people need to get and understand is, is that there are programs out there, there are opportunities that are given to people that they don't, they just seem to think, you know what, I did this on my own. Well, you know what, you went to that community college. Mm-hmm. That community college was made affordable because the state subsidized it so heavily yeah. to make it affordable. Yep. Look at Ivy Tech, mm-hmm. the largest community college network in the entire nation. That's why President Obama came here just a while back, right. because it is the largest community college network in the nation. Mm-hmm. I myself am going back to Ivy Tech for a paralegal mm-hmm. degree, and I you know, I will admit it. I used government grants. Sure. I pay the taxes. Right. By God, I'm going to use it. Sure. Absolutely. You know, and this notion of, you know, we, Brandy and I have talked about it numerous things. You know, I'm sure you have. Pulling, yeah. up, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. It, it what if you to, don't have bootstraps? Yeah. That's my thing. It's like, well, where'd you get the bootstraps from? <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a notion in our society that used to mean that you could actually do the impossible because you, you yeah. can't physically really pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not. It's a broken metaphor. It is. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I had this thing of being, you know, if, if you said you could pull yourself up by your bootsteps, that meant you could do the impossible, mm-hmm. but that's not what it's become to mean. You know, sure. they, they've redirected it to mean that, you know, every that everybody can have the success, that yeah. they're the soon-to-be millionaires and things like that. Right. One of the first things that's, um, it always impressed me, the guy that used to do the show with Randy come in, uh, he's a, a student in our program, mm-hmm. and uh, the professor at the time looked in, he kept talking about middle class, mm-hmm. and he was, what's middle class? Uh-huh. Ask I honestly ask people wow. that. Um, and I've, I've done this with my students in class. Do you consider yourself middle class? Right. And a large percentage of people do. And, I, and then it's I roll amazing. out, I have this little visual chart right. by income scales. I was like, why don't you go find yourself? We're yeah. down here. We're down at the bottom. Yeah. This thing looks, the visual aspect looks like a base. 
you know, mm-hmm. because there's more of us down here at the lower economic scales than there is at the higher. Oh, absolutely. Economic, which is you know where they you know when Occupy come along the the 99 versus the one. But the the honest thing and. and I've said this before, is it's really the 80-20. Mm. Because they're the 80% of us that are down at this lower bottom end are the ones taking all the hits. Yeah, totally um, agree. That that 20%, there, there are people out there and that even that upper scale of the bottom bottom 80, I think they're somehow elite. That what it mean what it means to be middle class, I'm pretty sure that none of us sitting around the table or even, even people in this room uh, right now are making $150,000. And that's what you'd have to be to be middle class. I mean, uh, with my wife and my decent incomes, we can't, we don't make that. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, you were talking about, yeah, not to go back to the GI Bill, but like in the 50s, uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what the rate was for the upper percent of the tax bracket. Mm-hmm. It was like 90%, 90% or something. Yeah. And, and, and people want to like, go back to the 50s. And it's like, yeah, let's go back to the 50s. Let's go back to that. How do you, and, and the GI Bill, that's a perfect example because how many people of the greatest generation got their start that way, started businesses, bought homes, exactly. got mobility. You're talking about mobility. They moved up in classes. And that was a big, you know, quote unquote, socialist program that they gave back to these people, and rightly so, they earned it. But and and, and such let's a look at uh, is one of those people that benefited from the GI Bill. Here's a guy that served in the military for over 20 years, came back from being in the service to the Kokomo area in the mid 50s, got a job at Delco as an electrician, worked another 20 to 30 years, and retired from Delco. And now as now that he's retired, receives a double pension, but none of that wouldn't have been possible had he not gone to the military, sure. received an education, mm-hmm. then retired, then went back to school, mm-hmm. and now people is are, retired. It's becoming out of people's reach. We've talked about it within ourselves, you know, just the, the push of Indiana University, the reading between the lines of the president saying, well, you know, the, the new people we admitted, are their GPA was uh, X 3.5 or whatever. I don't remember what it was off the top of my head. But, you know, when you read between the lines of that is what you're saying. They're taking people that have gone, very few of them are coming out of lower economic situations because the lower economic people in the public school system maybe aren't doing that well. Are they capable of doing college-level mm-hmm. work? We, we have guys that have you know, gone on to be engineers, astronauts, uh, presidents of universities, uh, major scholars, major business leaders that have come out of the public school system. So you're telling me some, somehow now all this is broke. Mm-hmm. And that next step, you have to, like, like it comes back to that point, you know, you have to work to make ends meet. The guy wanting to go out and better themselves to get a college education is decreasing. Mm-hmm. And the universities themselves are making it tighter to get in. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my, uh, I, for the cost of college thing, I would definitely tell you to read uh, my coworker Lauren Slagter. Uh, she wrote a column about her own student debt, and it's she's done all the right things. She's 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 made all the. She really goes into the numbers too of her own experience, and she, it's not like she's delinquent, hasn't paid, but she is still not paying off the actual. She's just paying off the interest. She she's, she's, hadn't even broke the surface of what she actually took out, and like you said, I mean that's colleges are. Everywhere, you know, it's like, like you said, like you dismantle public education, and that's what we're left with, just the land of colleges, you know, and that's the new high school, I guess, you know, if, if that's well, you left. know, that's that's a good possibility. Maybe we should have her on at some point because this is this is a rising issue. This is, you know, like the yeah. five for fifteen and, and some of the others, the, the student debt relief, because so many people are, are and, and 
the Obama program that they push through is nice, but it does it only it's not it don't, it, yeah it's not even by close far enough no. reaching through. I, I think really what it comes back down to is is government and the private business sector need to start looking at people as an, an investment rather than a liability. That's a good point. Yeah, you know, and I think and that's what happened in the fifties is is. The, the, the private sector and government saw everybody as this is a way that we could really pump up the country. This is really a way that we could pump up our economy. You know, let's get these servicemen back to school and get them these skills that they need. And let's start looking at workers as an investment. You know, and Rob, you had mentioned people say, oh, we ought to get back to the 50s. Oh, you mean the times when people were paid a good working wage, union membership was at its highest, and even the Republican Party said, join your local union. Oh, that, that Republican Party and this Republican Party, I don't, I that, don't know. I, I, I don't think they know each other. Right. Well, it, it was an era, I'll finish with this thought. We, it was an era, like Rob said, where you know the top 1% was paying 90 we had money for to invest in infrastructure. We had money to yes. invest in workers. We had money to invest in education. You know, up until the the whole privatization thing come along in the mid '80s, you could go not only to a local community college, but a real you know a higher institution of learning and pay a relatively reasonable rate mm-hmm. to go because the state helps subsidize. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. You know, they're they're cutting back and cutting back and cutting back and cutting back and cutting back. And you know, the the latest thing from Mr. Pence is to the higher groups of higher. We're going to give you this much money, but you got to give ten percent of it back. Well, then why do why are you even <laughs> why did you give it to me in the first place? Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I think ultimately the reason mm-hmm. why these attacks are coming is is back in in the feudal system in Europe, mm-hmm. people were deliberately withheld education and knowledge and the ability to proficiently read and write. Why? Because it made them easier to rule. Same thing with slavery. And exactly. In a dumb, ignorant society, it's easier to manipulate and to rule. And that's why you see these attacks coming about through lower wages, lower, Mm -hmm. the disband the public education system, college being too expensive to afford, even with government subsidies. Rob, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, every Wednesday in the Kokomo Tribune I do my col- or my column, House of Burgess. Um, I uh, can also be found on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Robberg. That was my uh, IU handle that they gave me for my email, so I just kept it. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> exactly. R-O-B-A-B-U-R-G. Um, I'm on the editorial board of the paper. Obviously, that, that you know, opinion page every, you know, five days a week we, we do opinions. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been Great. Great. Come back and join us. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have space on. All right. Until next week, fight on. Have a good one.